Have you ever been to a monastery? I've been to a few. I remember a couple of times I've spent the night in monasteries. I've spoken at some events that were hosted at these sacred religious sites. And let me try to explain the rooms where I've stayed. I mean, it's not like the Marriott. Let's start there. There were no flat screen televisions and multi-port device charging stations. There weren't 12 fluffy pillows, way too many pillows at most hotels. There weren't 12 fluffy pillows on the bed. There wasn't cucumber water waiting for me at the check-in desk. No, these rooms were simple, very, very simple, extremely simple, a tiny room, maybe windowless, a single small bed, not comfortable, one pillow, sheets and one blanket, a wooden desk, a wooden chair, a small wooden cross hanging on the wall, and that's it. Maybe not every monastery is like that, but the ones where I've stayed, they've, they've been exactly like that. And I'll be honest, I loved it. For one or two nights at least, man, I loved it. But it always makes me think about the real lives of monks and nuns and people who live in cloistered communities like this. How do they spend their time? How do they fill their days? What's it, what's it like not having a phone and a, a, a watch and a TV blaring at you all day and begging for your attention? What's it like trying to find more comfort and engagement for your soul than for your body? I'm guessing this is why monks invented beer. Oh, by the way, there is a monastery on top of a hill just above the city of Prague in the Czech Republic. If you ever get there, eat the hot dog and drink their dark beer. Your life will be changed. God might have shown up for me in that hot dog and beer, but that's not the topic of today's podcast. Today's show is about taking a deep dive into the idea of monasticism and what it might be able to teach people like me and you about how we are supposed to be with each other. Enjoy the episode. Hi, everyone. This is Matt Matson, the host of the Between Podcast. And I want to get right into our conversation today with our very special guest, Paul Prinz. Paul is joining me via Zoom from... Uh, under the twinkling lights of the Eiffel Tower in beautiful Paris, France. Paul lives there with his wife, and they, uh, uh, they've, they've got what looks like a really beautiful, idyllic Parisian life. And along with some other visionary folks in locations all over the world, they've created something really fascinating. I'm going to try to explain this a little, but Paul, I'm hoping you'll fill in the gaps here in a few minutes. Uh Urban Monastics. And if listeners want to learn more, they should go to urbanmonastic.org. But Urban Monastics is an ecumenical Christian community of people living simple lives in cities who are grounded in monastic practices and rhythms. And we'll learn more about that. But you should know that Paul has been, uh, he's been a minister in a bunch of different contexts, uh, from churches to student ministries to homeless shelters. He holds a Master's of Divinity from Bethel Theological Seminary, and he successfully founded a couple of companies back in previous chapters of his life. He's a mystic, he's a teacher, he's a writer, he's an artist, and I'm really glad he's here. Paul, welcome. And maybe will you start by answering the question that most of our listeners probably have, wait, is this guy a monk? Uh, thanks, Matt. It's nice to be here. Um, I guess I'm not really a monk. I don't, that's not a term I use for myself. Um, we do within urban monastics, we, we call ourselves monastics. Um, but we are a, this kind of like lay ecumenical community. And so we're not living in monasteries. We're not um, supported from a monastery. Um, but yeah, I mean, living monastically, I think there's a lot of wisdom and insight there. Um, and we can get into a bit more of what that is. But um, I prefer the term monastic. Uh, if you if you really want to slap that label on me, which is fine. So you, when we did a little prep call, I don't know, a week or two ago, you very generously walked me through like the difference between a monastic and a mendicant, uh, those, those terms. Uh, and I, by the way, 
I tried to then teach my wife that last night over dinner when I was talking about the fact that I was really excited about this conversation and completely screwed it up. Uh, and I remember at one point you used uh, like Friar Tuck from uh, from some old yeah, uh, Robin Hood stories yeah. to, uh, to help me. Will you will you teach any listener who doesn't really understand understand the word monastic? Will you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so monasticism has been around for a long time. It goes all the way back to the desert mothers and fathers in the second, third century. Um, and a lot of modern day monasticism finds its roots with St. Benedict. Uh, and so that's in the, the 500s, uh, early to mid 500s is when the rule of St. Benedict was written down. And so to be a monastic in the, in the church today, by and large means that you are living a life dedicated to some kind of external rule. And so it'll, it, it's, it sounds a little bit spooky uh, for us in maybe the 21st <laughs> century that you're, you're kind of giving your life over to this document. Um, but essentially what, it, what it's doing is saying, hey, there is a, there's a way that we can set ourselves apart from, from the world that we live in and dedicate ourselves uh, to a life of prayer and to a life of God's presence. Um, and so historically monastics, uh, the men and women who live in monasteries, uh, they have found themselves living in these cloisters, these kind of internal parts of the monastery, uh, for the vast majority of their life. And so the difference between like a monastic, um, so a Benedictine, Cistercian, there's a whole bunch of different groups that fit under that category versus the mendicant, which, you know, in Robin Hood, you got Friar Tuck, you've got the Jesuits who I think are probably the, some of the most well-known um, mendicants today is that uh, the mendicants have kind of this, this call to teach. Um, so there's kind of this external uh, aspect to the committed life they're living. They're all religious orders. Um, but there is an element where monasticism tends to be more internally focused, where to be a mendicant, there tends to be some more of an outward focus um, in terms of teaching, preaching, something like that for the, the broader community in the world. So. so to be clear, because people listening can't see what I can see via Zoom and, and see some of the pictures maybe that you've posted on your social media, you don't live in a monastery, you don't live in... Correct. A, a set aside on top of a mountain in this, uh, uh, you're not a hermit up there somewhere. You are, I mean, you li literally live above a cafe on the streets of Paris, right? That is correct. Yeah, we have our, our 50 square meter apartment for my wife, my cat and I. And uh, we really, we love Paris. Uh, it's a wonderful city. If you live here, say hi, we'll go grab coffee. If uh, you visit, I hope you get to. Um, but yeah, the, the reality is that the, the, the monastic impulse, the thing that leads people to be monastic is it's something that's deeply personal. Uh, it's not for everyone. There'll be folks that really enjoy it. And there'd be folks that it would be kind of maybe the last thing they might ever want to do. <laughs> And one of the things that we're trying to do with urban monastics that we're doing with urban monastics is helping for Protestants is we're, we're helping them rediscover this part of our shared heritage. Mm. And so monasticism starts in the early church. It continues all the way up through uh, the Reformation. And, and for whatever reason at the Reformation, we, on uh, the Protestant stream of, of Christianity, we left monasticism behind. And so how do we rediscover this and rediscover it in a way that makes sense in the 21st century in the third millennia? Uh, we don't have large institutional funding. We can't just go and buy a bunch of buildings and bring people to live in there together. There are monastic communities that are living in cities. The Fraternities of Jerusalem is one. Uh, they're here in Paris and Strasbourg and Rome and a couple other places. Um, and so there's nothing about necessarily being in a city uh, that goes against being monastic. For us, uh, it is much more about kind of the inward journey and how do we live lives that reflect and uh, 
um, would look monastic to folks that are cloistered, yeah. who are who are living in monasteries. Um, one of the things that uh, we regularly get notes either through social media or through the forms on our website from people who are who are living monastic lives, and they see the the, the life they've committed themselves to honored and reflected in the invitations within our way of life uh, that is based on the rule of St. Benedict. But it's it's about, you know, living simply. It's about uh, meeting the, the busyness of the city with the calm. It's about meeting the loud of the city with quiet. Meeting the, yeah, like how do we, how can we live apart uh, in the midst of the places that more and more we find ourselves? moving to you know urbanization is a thing it's not stopping uh it's accelerating if anything and so how can we intentionally live lives in cities uh, that taps into this beautiful part of our christian heritage and uh, yeah for folks like myself any of you out there that are a little bit more introspective maybe a little more of an ascetic at heart um, a little more contemplative, meditative. Uh, I think the the monastic stream has a lot to offer um, in terms of uh, just the richness of knowing that those those things that might resonate with your soul, with who you are, uh, have always had a home in the church, the big C church, even though a lot of times our local communities may not have expressions of that. And so, yeah, so our monasticism were... We're trying to help people connect. So that's what I want to, this project, the Urban Monastics Project, uh, the, it's like uh, we can talk about urban monastics as a as an idea. And then there's also like this project, uh, this real community that I sense that you're gathering. And they're, I, I, I'm not going to, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I, I think the, the idea that I'm curious about is you seem to be creating a, a I guess a digital platform or, or a way that people can connect from all over the world and tap into a collective uh, rhythm, uh, tap into a collective uh, rule. Uh, actually, that that idea of a rule, the rule of of Benedict or the rule that you've got listed on the on the Urban Monastics website is really fascinating to me. Mostly because it's it is voluntary. It is it is you saying I would like to submit to this way of life and i've very clearly defined it i've i've put a, uh, a a border around it and i've said this is this is the type of life i want to live and even if somebody doesn't want to be a monastic i think there's a lot of people who crave clarity about living mm -hmm. a life of purpose living a life of intention creating a home that has not rules i'm not talking about rules of authority and punishment, but rules where a rule where we submit to this clear, uh, this, the, the things that we know demonstrate the things that we've said are important to us. I'm, I'm, uh, rambling a lot here, but that's the stuff that gets me excited about the project that you're doing. Yeah. Not only is maybe somebody who might be interested in being a part of it, but somebody who might be interested in looking at it and being inspired by it. Uh, am I off base there? Did I mess anything up? No, that's really wonderful. It's for me growing up, uh, I grew up Presbyterian peace, USA in Minneapolis mm -hmm. and my church experience never exposed me or taught me much of anything about monasticism, about monastics. And so I found myself, it wasn't really actually until I was in seminary going through church history and learning about different movements within the church and learning about Benedict and reading the rule and being like, wow, this is incredibly interesting. And one of the things that we've very intentionally, that I very intentionally have done with the urban monastic way of life is that there's very little expected of you, I guess, if, if that's a, a way to put it. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times, depending on your, your exposure, your experience to church, you may have even done, sometimes at retreats, they'll invite people to create a rule 
for their life to go by. And a lot of times the resources and things around that tend to be very, almost too structured. It's like, how are you going to spend your time? Like, what are the things you're going to stop doing? What are the things you're going to start doing? And it's very uh, rigid in that. It's uh, this binary of like stopping this, starting this, doing this at this time. Uh, and there is, if, if you go and you actually become uh, a, a monastic at a monastery, you will find that there is a very rigid schedule for certain things. Um, but a lot of the monastic life is is the depths of the soul and the depths of the internal and that relationship with, with God and others and yourself. And so what we've done with the urban monastic way of life, our commitment, our rule, is there's only three kind of active things that we kind of explicitly say, yeah, you, you, if you're going to do all of this, you're going to be, you want to be a monastic with us versus just sojourn with us where you kind of journey with us and pick the things that you'd like to do. Um, we ask that you would pray start and end every day in prayer. We ask that you would take communion or the Eucharist ideally once a week. And we ask you to fast uh, ideally once a week. And the rest of it are more passive things. It's like, how do you reduce your consumption? How do you live a simple life? How do you embody the fruit of the spirit? How do you lean into God's grace and mercy? How do you live with love? Like these are our foundational things um, that are present in the rule of St. Benedict and they're present in the history of the church. Uh, and we want to meditate on these things and think about these things and, and engage with them so that um, the, the bit of, of structure we have kind of creates a framework that we can experience uh, closeness with God, transformation of our faith, of ourselves, of our world. Um, and I understand it, the, the idea of a, a rule, you know, hey, this guy named Paul on the internet wrote some things down and he's asking people to, you know, like commit themselves to living that way. It's like, yeah, on the surface, I understand that that sounds kind of kind of suspect, but I'd really encourage people to go and, and, and check it out on our website because the point is that these are all things that we we live into and we we hopefully over time will grow into that. Um, they're the, they're the impulses we you know, pulling out what are the things that draw people to a monastic way of life? And then how can we, we equip, gather and grow um, this community and the people that, that uh, find us and, and want to be a part of it. Uh, Paul, this is not a question that we talked uh, or that I maybe prepped you with, but I'm I'm remembering. I think in the bio on your website, there's a there's a line that says, "I'm looking for it. I think I found it. I believe the way we live flows out of the deep wells, wells that are filled with our beliefs and values. The deep wells, and I think you you used that phrase earlier, but I start to think about." Mm -hmm the way you're describing, you know, uh, if, if you want to be a part of this monastics community, uh, you're going to, you're going to do these three things. You're going to start and end your day with prayer. You're going to take community once a week and you're going to fast once a week. I think you said, uh, the way I would reflect that back in a way that, that makes me really excited is, um, you, you're building a, a spiritual container, uh, in your week that, allows you to tap deeper and deeper into those deep wells. At least that's how I'm, I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying. And I, I love the idea of building a, building more structure. Structure has been used to abuse people and, and is, has been problematic in a lot of yeah. ways. And if you get to build your own structure, build your own container into it, uh, within which you can dive deeper into those deep wells of your soul uh, what a, again, I think there's a lot of people who are craving that, but don't find it in their local church to your point and don't find it in their normal rhythms of life, the rush and hustle of life. Yeah. Um, that, there wasn't a question there. I think I was just saying things back that I liked that you wrote <laughs> or that you said. Yeah. I mean, uh, there is this sense and and you, you see Jesus talk about you know, out of the, out of the abundance or out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
And so there is this very real reality that um, we long to be judged by how we behave and act at our best. But I think it's when we're, we're stressed, we're tired, we've been walking too long, you know, we're at our end that like, where, like, where is when your capacity becomes limited, I think we, we, we see a more clear picture mm. of who we are. Mm. And it's often not flattering. And so the question for me becomes not, um, how do I ensure I never, you know, am tired and angry and whatever, because those things will happen. I live in France. There's bureaucracy. The sidewalks are too narrow. People like, they don't understand that people live here and have appointments and they just <laughs> like, there's Metro for those of you that live in cities that have mass transit. Uh, there's, you know, things that can get you a little upset on mass transit from time <laughs> to time, sight, smells, sounds. Um, and so the question for me is, okay, what Jesus is, what I think Jesus is pointing at here is that, um, the presence with God and presence with others, that, that love and joy and gentleness and kindness and all of the fruit of the spirit, like that should be the abundance that overflows out of us. And yet that's not natural. That's not our like default state. And so how do we give ourselves time and give ourselves the intention and the slowness and the reflection and the in inviting God's kind of illuminating light into the dark uh, recesses of ourselves, so that the wells we have can be reinforced with God's love, they can be reinforced with the fruit of the Spirit, so that it becomes more natural for our response to be gentleness and patience and self-control. And that is this very mystical work that happens between us and the divine um it is not all us uh and it also is not something that that god just does to us he doesn't override our agency he doesn't override our character he he wants to 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 do life with us and so a lot of the vast majority of our way of life are are these reminders and invitations that we prompt the community with again and again hey how do how might you engage with this reality this week mm. i'm bringing up the fruit of the spirit because we just had a, a, a our, our monthly gathering on sunday where uh five of us had a about a 35 minute conversation around that um and it's it's wonderful but it, it is one of these what are you giving your attention to like, what are you thinking about? What are you opening yourself up to? And we're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to fall short of our hopes, of our desires, of what we expect of ourselves, what we feel God might expect of us. And so to be to have a community around you that's gracious, merciful, invitational, that says, yeah, I get it. Come back. It's okay. Like, come back. We'll, we'll Let's keep going. Um for folks that are more on the contemplative side, the meditative side, that this sounds interesting, this sounds inviting and exciting. Uh, our local churches, by and large, aren't set up to do these kind of things, to have these these kind of slow burn um, way of living kind of things. And so urban monastics functions for a lot of people as kind of an alternate pathway of spiritual development within their local church. But yeah, like, Maybe you're involved. Maybe you aren't in your local church. Keep doing that. Urban monastics isn't trying to be a church. Yeah. We're trying to be a way of life for Christians all around the world, regardless of your denominational or, or tradition background, um, to live intentional lives uh, and experience more uh, presence with God and presence with others. And I think that happens through being intentional. So. There's something about knowing that you're in Paris and listening to you uh, in what you were just saying, especially as you were talking about like uh, 
you know, when you're in a city and and you're tired and you've been walking too long and you're you're hungry and 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 how do you respond in those moments? You know, it takes mm-hmm. me to the times when my wife and I have been blessed to be able to take our two daughters on trips to Europe on on cool vacations in big exciting cities and Paris being one of them. And we'd, we'd spend days bouncing around these sacred sites, these churches, these museums holding mm-hmm. sacred, beautiful things and uh, symbols meant to remind us uh, of, of God and of peace and of beauty. And, you know, in between we're lugging around little kids and, and diaper bags when they were smaller and we get and we're tired and the kids are hungry and we're hungry and our responses in those moments aren't necessarily maybe uh reflective of the symbols that we're bouncing around the city to see like uh, the irony in that is is uh uh is real and it's also part of why i think i i chose to turn up my own spiritual practices uh you know i uh, and some people listening will know that I, uh, I, I don't, I didn't go to seminary. I'm not a, not a pastor. I don't work professionally in the faith world. Um, in fact, there was a large part of my life where I was just bored by faith of all sorts uh, and Christianity, especially. And I was just disinterested and couldn't find any connection to it. And I think maybe as I got older and maybe, uh, maybe, maybe with kids, but maybe just there was a maturity point where I just started asking, there's something there's something that I know that if I did it more, it would help me feel peace more and then help me mm-hmm. be more peaceful. And so for me, that started with daily prayers. Uh, for me, that started with actively engaging in conversation around uh, around faith with people that I thought were interesting. And it's grown from there. But I, I to me, uh, just listening to you think about that and th- then thinking about, literally thinking about family vacations that we've taken, including to Paris and how wonderful it is and how exhausting it is and how there are moments that didn't make the, the Instagram reel yeah. of our family trip. There's to Paris, a lot of those know? moments. <laughs> yeah. I, and I, I hear what you're saying. And for me growing up, uh, faith was a very intellectual thing. Mm. It was, you know, trying to understand the ideas of it. I grew up, uh, as a kid, kind of just treating it like another school subject. Like there's mm-hmm. things here I need to learn. They're going to ask me questions. My, my tradition had a confirmation process that I went through and it was, you know, you memorize this creed and, you know, you learn these different things in the class and that's all fine. I enjoy, I, I that was a benefit to me, but the challenge is that we live in an age where we want to believe that knowledge is the transforming work. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it just isn't. There's people who, and myself was in this camp for a long time. We learn things about ourselves, about faith, and it feels like that information should be transformational. And then it doesn't transform us. And I joke sometimes that you can learn kind of everything you need to know about being a monastic in a weekend, but you'll never get there in a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And it's this, this challenge and, and the same can go for faith. Um, but it's this challenge of like, you know, I studied homiletics. I studied preaching. That was my emphasis at, at seminary. And I love communicating. I love teaching. I, I love all of that. But I know at the end of the day that when people listen to me, they're going to go back to their life. Maybe this was a respite for them. Maybe they, they learned something new, but they will be back in their life very, very shortly. And then what, Mm. how do we, how do we actually do the long, hard work of transform of transformation of partnering with God in our own transformation? Um, And it's really difficult. And I think the fasting component of, you know, we talked earlier about the the three active components of uh, urban monastics life. The fasting component is one of those that I I think we, we largely misunderstand 
I think about the, man, I don't even know if this is dating myself anymore, but the Snickers commercials back in the day, like, oh, you turn into a diva or you turn into an animal or you turn into, you know, these commercials where someone was hungry and they turned into, you know, some other celebrity or an animal and they gave them a Snickers bar and, oh, you're not yourself when you're hungry. And I, and to kind of go back to what I was sharing before, I think maybe that is us, mm. you know, when, when we aren't at our best and to have and create moments where, you know, you get to experience yourself in kind of a more raw, authentic state so that you can look and go, Oh Lord, I don't want to be like this. When I'm at my wits end, like I want to be more gentle. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I want to be kind when that's the last thing I I want, (laughs) you know, like I want to be loving when I don't feel like I have the capacity to even accept love because of, you know, just how I'm feeling and what's going on in my life. And that's incredibly difficult to do. Thankfully, we don't do it alone, but I think it's this question of, you know, a bit of a shift from oh, if we just knew more to, well, what does it take to embody, to incarnate what it is we believe? You know, we just celebrated Christmas, you know, depending on when you listen to this, that will be very timely. Uh, and the, the reality of, of God with us, of, of the incarnation, of the word becoming flesh, uh, Christ is the word of God. And it is in Bodied, it's lived, it's human, it has all that I have, all that any of us have, like that, that can contain the multitudes of the divine. And so for me, it just starts to beg this question, like, how do I need to live? So that it's not just an idea in my mind or a thought between some synapses in my brain, that it starts to become a a foundational transforming aspect of myself that I actually incarnate, you know, faith, hope, and love that I incarnate the fruit of the spirit that I, and you know, this is where that, like, you'll never get there. Right. But it, but for me, it's like, well, if this is true, if all of this is true, then it's worth it. Yeah. It's worth the work. It's worth the quiet. It's worth you know, inviting God to shine light in the dark parts of my soul that no one would ever know uh, exist. Uh, and no one will ever know if I work on it or not. Yeah. But it, then it's worth it. Like if this is, if this is true, then it, then to me it's worth it. And so how do we live a life um, that reflects that for us? That for people who maybe, you know, God's done things in your life, he's made you the kind of person that resonates with these kind of things, that this could be a way to lean into those things, to lean into um, a life that's more reflective, more meditative, more contemplative, more mystical. Mystical just being, you know, these relationships and experiences we have with the divine. Um, you know, how do we how do we do that? And it's great for people that that's not what they need. Cool. I, I hope that you find the communities and the spaces and the opportunities to experience the more and more of God in your life. Um, but I know that across the church traditions, Protestant, Anglican, Catholic, Orthodox, um, there aren't a lot of opportunities and there aren't a lot of people saying, Hey, this matters. If you're this kind of person, like we're, we're making space for you and we're, we're, we want you to know that there's other people out there like you, um, who are taking this seriously because it can be very lonely feeling. Yeah. The, uh, this is a practical, uh, direct relation to what we're doing with the between community, but on, on the urban monastics website, there's a section uh, I think that it talks about sort of the urban monastics way of life. Your website's great, by the way. It is mm-hmm. so if, if anybody has a question about what you're talking about, the answer is probably on this urban monastics website, including like description of why the symbology uh, in your logo is what it yeah, is. Right? And a, yeah. 
uh, anyway, I like that stuff. But anyway, so this part of the uh, the website talks about hospitality as part of the urban monastics way of life. I want to read mm-hmm. uh, part of that section of the website, and I'd love if you could talk more about it. Uh, so it says, hospitality is a cornerstone of communal monasticism. The practice of hospitality is a profound gift to others and ourselves. Yet we must make sure that we let our spirit be the source of this gift, that it flows outwards from the deepest parts of ourselves. It's important that we become able to see the very person of Jesus in others and within ourselves. Uh, That felt important for the context of our between community, what we're trying to do with between. Can you talk about what it means to let the spirit be the source of your hospitality? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, hospitality is one of those things that um, if you if you love reading, there's so much you can read and learn about hospitality uh, and its and its roots in monasticism. Even our hospital system came out of monastic communities, and um, yeah, there's just a lot of wonderful stuff there. Um, and again, you know, you're hearing in in this description, this overview of our of our our way of life around hospitality. You know this this invitational tone, but also like we want it to, we want it to become a natural expression, a natural extension of who you are. And having it come from the spirit um, means that you're able to be hospitable beyond maybe what you might initially think of, Hmm. you know, hospitality, uh, this, the university that I, I met my wife at, uh, had a hospitality tourism program, you know, like we understand hospitality to be one thing or one kind of thing. It's often around, you know, hotels and customer service and like those kind of things. Um, if somebody says, Oh, they're so hospitable, you know, it probably means that they, they took care of their needs and, and things like that, which are all wonderful for us being in cities. Uh, there's, there's, two of us that live in just over 500 square feet in our, in our walk-up apartment in Paris. Um, you know, we, we don't have the space to, to, you know, have an extra bedroom to have people over. We don't have, uh, the resources to do a lot of these things that you might think of, uh, more traditionally around hospitality, but we do have the ability, every one of us to meet others in love and grace and mercy and to have a have a posture that comes from within that asks the question, you know, how how can I show hospitality towards you? How can I be, uh, you know, a warm, uh, almost like a sense of home in the midst of life, in the midst of the city? Um, again, it's kind of that contrast, you know, like. We live in we live in urban centers. I live in one of the densest cities in in the Western world. Um, so how do we be hospitable? Um, and that's where for me, like that focus on you know having it kind of well up from within and be kind of a natural extension of the spirit within you um, is just so beautiful and and I think transformative to realize like oh what can I do with the little I have. And that could both be like resource wise. And it also could just be like the amount of time or the type of relationship you have with someone. Mm. You know, I think it's possible to show hospitality to people when you're walking around the city. You know, you can, I can be the one that, you know, six foot two, uh, tall white guy with long hair. uh, I can be the one to step into the gutter when there's people walking towards me on the narrow sidewalks. And in some ways like that, that can be an expression of hospitality and saying, Hey, look, I will take, I'll, I'll do this so that you don't have to, like, let me take care of you in this way. Um, where I'm very well aware that just because of my physical size, if I don't do that, people will often step down into the street or stop and wait for me to pass. Especially, I mean, Paris, some of the sidewalks are so they're old, so they're very (laughs) narrow. Um, but yeah, so it's like, how do we uh, understand hospitality? And I've also been in situations where I've, you know, stayed with friends or 
uh, stayed at places and it, it, you just don't feel welcome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that can, that it's like, okay, so you've done the actions, you've done the like outward things, mm-hmm. but there's a disconnect as well. And so how do you, how do you kind of do that dance together where uh, it is an authentic expression? It becomes an authentic expression of yourself um, and not just kind of an external, like, oh, here's a thing I need to do because, right. you know, somebody said it, or I read, I read the Bible and it's in there. And that's right. Yeah. You know, yeah. Jesus, Jesus said to give your cloak to the, you know, give your shoes too. And it's just like, okay, like you can, you can, you can act out those things in a very um, ungrateful, unloving way, mm-hmm. or you can allow them to become kind of more natural expressions of your, of yourself, of your lived experience of, um, yeah. And also understanding your boundaries and understanding like what you can and can't do in given moments. And yeah. So there's a lot there that is really wonderful, but the, the hospitality piece is, um, it's actually something that, uh, I had overlooked, um, early on with urban monastics and I've become friends with a, a Cistercian abbot, uh, in the South of France and went down and got to spend some time with him and, uh, celebrate his 25th anniversary as an abbot, uh, at the monastery. And, uh, he brought up hospitality several times. Mm. Uh, and it was evident that the, that him and the other brothers at the monastery really enjoyed having uh, and caring for the people that that visited um and so that was um a thing that kind of with his prompting you know going back and saying okay this needs to be more explicit um it was present kind of within some of the other other aspects of the way of life but uh you know he really impressed on me the the value and importance of it and that it needs to be something that um we kind of lead with as a, as an organization and as a, as a community. Um, yeah. And so it's, it's, I'm glad that it's there. I think it's, it's a, it's a wonderful, um, addition, uh, to our way of life, which at this point is pretty much, uh, probably how it will be. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's beautiful, but it is, again, it's that like, are we willing to let ourselves be transformed yeah. and to do the work uh, with the Lord um, to experience that? Hmm. This makes me think about, uh, uh, you know, sort of the so many aspects of our conversation, for me anyway, the way that I'm relating to our conversation, I keep going through this cycle of, of how, how, how I understand myself, how it expresses, how I express that understanding of myself outward. And of course I could add, uh, how I understand God, how I understand myself, how I express myself outward and how well aligned those three, uh, those three pieces of that circle, that cycle are you, uh, you, you made a real recently, uh, I, I found it on, on your Instagram. You were doing like this coffee and homily thing, like in the morning. I loved it. You were making homily coffee. And coffee. Yeah. yeah. Homily and a coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, in the short little video, you said something and I wrote it down. You said, it's almost like the depth and extent to which I know myself creates the capacity for me to understand others. And that takes me back mm-hmm. to sort of the cycle of how I understand myself, how it expresses itself outward. But I'm going to say that again, because man, I like this a lot. It's almost like the depth an extent to which I know myself creates the capacity for me to understand others. That's powerful. That is important. Uh, we, we say a few more words about that idea. Yeah, it's, it's this, in so many ways it, it seems obvious, but it also at the same time is really challenging to communicate. Um, I have a background in art. And when we, when you study art at university, very often there is a kind of like a survey of art course. And so you're going and you're, you're watching, um, you're seeing a bunch of art on slides, you know, statues, paintings, cuneiform tablets, whatever it would be. Um, and you're learning about it. And one of the things that happens is that as you learn more about how to see art, 
about the progression of techniques, the the development of different, uh, even just pigments and techniques and approaches and ways of seeing the world. It it changes the way that you see paintings. It changes the way that you see sculpture. It it gives you an eye to notice things that you wouldn't notice before. And I think in my experience, the same thing happens uh, with myself and with people that as I notice things about myself, it gives me a capacity to understand others better. Mm. And this can be a dual edged sword. And so oftentimes what can happen is you'll have somebody learn something about themselves and then they see it in everyone everywhere. <laughs> uh, and they feel like they have to, you know, shout it from the rooftop and, you know, Oh, I just discovered this thing. And, um, wait, great. Self-discovery is awesome. Do it. I don't know that we need to go around, uh, uh, critiquing others in that way, but, um, there is this, I think as we go deeper and deeper, we start to learn more about ourselves, the nuances, the, the little facets that make us who we are. And I think we also start to see, uh, and have the opportunity to come, come to grips with our own shortcomings. Um, you know, in the, in the divine office, there's a prayer, um, that's a part of compliance is like, you know, for the things I've done and left undone, you know, and we're, we're asking for forgiveness. And so it's this, this reality that like, yeah, every day there's going to be things that I need, I need grace and mercy for, for things that I've done and for things that I have left undone. And so it's this question for me of how, wow, like, the more I know myself, even it gives me a greater dependence on God's mercy mm. that has never failed me. Every day there's more, every day there's an abundance uh, to more than meet um, what it is that I need. And it, and so this idea of, you know, the better we understand ourselves, it gives us a greater capacity to understand others. It's both in the like, oh, I just learned this thing and now I see other people are, are doing that thing too. And that's really interesting. And it's also, I think the more that we, we accept and rest and um, lean into the brokenness of ourselves, mm -hmm. it allows us to, to fall deeper and deeper into the well of God's mercy. And then it becomes easier to extend that to others. Yeah. It doesn't mean that the conversations are easy. It doesn't mean that um, we just get run over. Um, but a, but a, but conflict when one person uh, is, you know, immersed in grace and mercy is very different than conflict when no one is. Mm. Um, and so I think it's one of these challenges we have as as people that want to follow jesus um and be transformed by jesus in the ways that he said we could be um you know ha it has to start inside mm. it has to start in these quiet places um and uh, you know to be one voice of the many that are inviting people into that is uh is really wonderful but it is um it is a it is a a difficult invitation to give because it's asking for someone to give their whole self to something yeah um and there are very few things in life that ask that um but <laughs> some, some, somebody needs to uh <laughs> some of us need to mm -hmm. and so um yeah I want to end with a question. Uh, I'm going to read, I'm going to share another thing that you wrote, but uh, this question is about love, which I think uh, might take us as, uh, on a journey back through everything we've discussed one way or another, I'm guessing, but uh, I don't, I don't really know where this question is going to lead us, but mostly I wanted to ask it because I loved the way you wrote. Uh, I found this blog post, I think that you had written and the language was, it was beautiful, but it was also um, a little mysterious to me, uh, the way that you wrote it. It was a little, uh, it invited me 
to apply uh, my own meaning uh, in ways that were almost uncomfortable and in ways that were almost uh, that stretched me uh, in in some cool ways. So I, I want to just read a little section of this post that you wrote. Um, here's here's what I said. Sustaining love involves a million choices. It can only be a gift for someone else. There are times in my life that I've had to let my love sit waiting. There are people for whom it is waiting today. May my love be patient, gentle, and without boasting. May it be waterproof on the stoop of their door. I love that, Paul. You describe love as finite in that post. You describe love as the most personal thing you have to give. Uh, so I wanted to close our discussion today by giving you a chance to reflect on love. How might we think about love through God's eyes? Yeah, it's a lot. Um, love is one of those things that... Um, There's, there's so many different definitions and experiences of it. And I think one of the challenges that we have, that I have as somebody who is responding to a call to be vocationally one that proclaims God's love, um, is that, you know, how do we wade into this mess of our experiences of disappointment, of frustration, of hurt, of harm, of, um, and as well as all the goodness that, that, that we, we put with love. I don't have complete answers to, to how to do that for people, um, how to do that for myself. Um, but I do know that love is not a single thing. Love is not something that you've done and check off the list that love is something that can be come a part of who you are and how you meet others but the challenge is that the love i see expressed through christ is love that will always come second to the other because it needs the other to reciprocate it needs the other to accept it you can't, you can't make someone love you. And so there is this humble posture that, I mean, we can just look at Christ's life uh, to not make it too personal for me. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he was wildly misunderstood by the people he loved. They, the disciples did things that appalled Christ. I'm thinking specifically about Peter uh, attacking with a sword in the Garden of Gethsemane. I can't even imagine the frustration with that. The people that he loved most were so disconnected from who he was and the, and what he had been trying to teach them. And so how do we then in our modern world that um, seems to move faster and seems to have more chaos and seems to have higher stakes and, you know, how do we allow ourselves to be misunderstood while not letting go of the fact that we love those who misunderstand us. Mm -hmm. um, how do we stand up for the, the image of God in all people? How do we condemn the powerful and the violent uh, for the things that they do um, while not giving up on love? While not giving up on gentleness and kindness and patience um, 
I think it's one of those things that we have to, above all else, that we have to give ourselves to. Um, you know, and that's, I think, where, you know, I talk about there being, you know, a million choices, uh, a million ways that we choose to love. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if we follow the example that I see in Jesus, um, both in my own life and in the in the scriptures, um, it means that we love without um, an expectation of what what the res- what the response is, um, but it's gentle and quiet. Um, yeah, and I, and it's difficult to do that, but I think when we we, you know ask questions like god like how have you loved me before i cared you know how have you how did you love me um oof. Hmm. like you start you start to see that the gentleness the patience hmm. the kindness um you know even as we struggle in our own lives struggle to, to figure out who we are struggle to do better struggle to be present um you know god loves us just as much today as yesterday as tomorrow and i i think it's very difficult for me and i think for a lot of people to to know of a love that doesn't depend on who i am or what i do what I can do, um, but in the midst of nothingness, like I'm loved, and that's it's a lot. Mm-hmm. It's a lot to to rest in and think about. But I do believe that that's how God sees me and relates to me, and how he he sees and relates to all of us. Mm. And I and I believe that there's an invitation. Um, to to allow ourselves to move in that direction with how we how we engage and meet others. All this uh, this conversation is exactly why I wanted to start this podcast. Like conversations like this, this was not just a beautiful conversation, but it was a exemplary conversation exemplary not of of the perfect uh, podcast but of what i think you want urban monastics to do you want to invite people into this type of contemplation this type of depth uh and hope that it might fill each of our wells with the sacred light of god and i i just i'm so grateful for this time I'm grateful for the work that you're doing. I'm grateful that we found each other randomly on the internet and we liked a couple of each other's posts. And I think I was like, I want to learn more about urban monastics yeah. in a comment. And you said, well, set up a call with me. And I did. And what a, what a wonderful, simple interaction in itself. Uh, what a very hospitable interaction it was that you immediately just gave me a link to schedule a call with you straight from a, a internet comment. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. Paul, we remind people, how they could interact with you or interact with urban monastics. What's the best place for them to go? Yeah. I'm, I just want to reflect real quick. I've also really enjoyed this conversation. It's been uh, really nice. And um, yeah, I mean, getting to, to hear things that, that I've written kind of come back to me through a different voice is always a, a profound experience. So thanks for that, Matt. Um, you can find out more about urban monastics on our website, urbanmonastic.org. You can also find us on most social media platforms. So we're on Instagram, TikTok, Blue Sky, Facebook, and I'm not really using it. A uh, place formerly known as Twitter anymore, just because of the uh, current state of what it is. But um, we do still have accounts there, so if you're there, you can you can find us. Um, I'm also all over the place. So if you if you find those accounts, you'll you'll probably pretty easily find me. Um, and I would 
I would enjoy, and I, I always enjoy getting to connect and talk with people that, uh, and wherever you are in the world. So. Well, I know you're trying to, as I think your bio says, live a simple, gracious and integrated life. And may we all, uh, have the opportunity to experiment with those ideas and that kind of life. Thanks for joining me, Paul. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Matt. Hey, thanks to all you betweeners out there for listening to this episode of the between podcast. Make sure you visit between dot church on the internet to sign up for our mailing list. That's probably the most important thing. Our email list, make sure you subscribe to us on YouTube. You can check out our five minute sermons, five ish minute sermons that we post every week. Follow us on social media. We got daily prayers. We got all sorts of other content and join our community fully. We invite everyone. You are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you're from, no matter what you believe, or even if you believe, no matter who you love or how you love, no matter what anybody else has ever told you about you, you are welcome and loved and celebrated here at Between. You know, my favorite church is the space between people. Now go with God's love and create the church between. <music>